from the epistle to the Hebrews. By the will of God, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God, from that time waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. For for by one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. But the Holy Spirit also witnesses to us. For after he said before, This is the covenant that I will make with them. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds I will write them. Then he adds, Their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Now where there is remission of these, there is no longer an offering for sin. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which he consecrated for us, through the veil that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. For if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but only a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation which will devour the adversaries. Anyone who has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. And so, of how much worse punishment do you suppose will he be who thought worthy or will he be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot counted the blood of the covenant by which he has, has been sanctified a common thing and insulted the spirit of grace. For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. But recall the former days in which, after you were illuminated, You endured a great struggle with sufferings, partly while you were made a spectacle both by reproaches and tribulations, and partly while you became companions of those who were so treated. For you had compassion on me in my chains and joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods, knowing that you have a better and an enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. Therefore do not cast away your confidence which has great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. For yet a little while, and he who is coming will come and will not tarry. Now the just shall live by faith. But if anyone draws back, my soul has no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who draw back to perdition, but of those who believe to the saving of the soul. Lord, would you bless the reading of your holy word. 
And we would you bless us as hearers of your holy word. Make us to be doers of your word. Keep us in the palm of your hand. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Whoever said that the safest place to be is the center of God's will was either lying or horribly mistaken. Life is filled with dangers. I didn't need to remind you of that. With the exception of Lindsay, you're aware of the news. She hides from the news. She doesn't want to know what's going on out there. Life is filled with dangers. We face dangers all around us. We face dangers all before us. And sometimes we're even chased by the dangers behind us as they continue to gain ground on us. Life and living is dangerous business. And our journey toward the heavenly city, the rest that awaits us is no different. Along this journey of faith, along this journey as we pursue Jesus, our great high priest and our good shepherd, we are surrounded by dangers. They lurk off in the shadows, awaiting the opportunity to find us vulnerable and unsuspecting. They surround us like wolves. They await for us. And what are these dangers which hide in the shadows? It's important, you know, that we know what awaits us in the shadows of life and faith. It's important. In the great work, The Art of War, the great old work, The Art of War, we read, if you know the enemy and know yourself, you need not fear the result of a hundred battles. If you know yourself, but not the enemy, for every victory gained, you will also suffer a defeat. If you know neither the enemy nor yourself, you will succumb in every battle. It is important to know our enemy. In fact, John Wesley declared, know your disease, know your cure. If we don't know what we're treating, if we don't know what we're fighting, we can't treat it adequately and we can't fight it effectively. The Hebrews writer Names two enemies lurking about. Persecution and transgression. The first recipients of this epistle apparently knew quite a bit about persecution. Consider verses 32 through 34 again here in chapter 10. Recall in the former days in which after you were illuminated. In other words, when you came to Christ. When you became aware of of His death for you and gave your life to Him, you endured a great struggle with sufferings. Partly while you were made a spectacle, both by reproaches and tribulations, you were humiliated in front of others and by others. Partly in that way, and then partly while you became companions of those who were so treated. So not only had these recipients of the epistle suffered reproach 
and rejection and the plundering of their goods themselves, but they also shared in that fate with others. As others were suffering, they suffered right along with them. As others were hurting, as others were rejected, as others were persecuted, they gladly joined them, became companions of them. He goes on, For you had compassion even on me. We don't know who this is, whether it's Paul or perhaps Apollos or someone else. We know it's not Timothy because he mentions Timothy later as a third person. But you had compassion on me in my chains and joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods. Joyfully. Knowing that you have a better and an enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. Again, as I said last week, we await a city that is to come. We await, as we live in the shadows, we await the reality that lies ahead. They knew a considerable amount about persecution. They knew what it was to be rejected. They knew what it was to suffer. Not just suffer natural uh, natural sufferings, like, oh, I have a headache. Those things are, are bad enough, but persecution is about when others willfully inflict harm on us because of our faith in Christ and our faithfulness to Him. And the Hebrews writer tells us this, this is a danger that lurks off hiding in the shadows. The danger of persecution is hidden from our sight because we've bought into the lie that those who love God will enjoy the comfort of a trouble-free life for the rest of their lives. The rest of their days will be spent in ease. We might as well have bought that oceanfront property in Arizona. George Strait was trying to sell that gal back in the 80s. Remember? He even promised to throw in the golden gate in free. What a steal. But God never promises us a comfortable life. He never promises us a life free from harm, free from rejection, free from suffering. In fact, He tells us to count on just the opposite. You remember that Jesus told His disciples, they persecuted the prophets. They're even persecuting me. Of course they're going to persecute you. What else would you expect? In his first New Testament epistle, the Apostle Peter told us to count on suffering for the sake of Christ. Better to suffer for our faithfulness than to suffer for doing evil, he said. The Apostle Paul said that he was even filling up in his own body what was lacking in the afflictions of Christ. But God uses our suffering. He uses our persecution to our benefit and to the benefit of the world. Jesus told His disciples that you are blessed when you are persecuted for righteousness' sake. I remember professor in seminary or our president back in seminary, Dr. Smith, used to say that he sends us out as sheep among wolves. And of course, sheep among wolves are 
bound to be bit. But how can the world ever know the taste of the blood of the Lamb unless they sink their teeth into His sheep? The enemies of Christ have been conquered through His death and resurrection. Yes, they have been conquered. But the Hebrews writer reminds us that these enemies have not yet been made His footstool. The head has been cut off of the snake, but the snake still wanders, still fights. And there's persecution out hiding in the shadows. Beware, lest you buy into the lie that God's people won't suffer. That God's people can't suffer. We have suffered for two millennia and will suffer and be rejected by the world. Those who are faithful, that is, till Christ comes again. But there's another enemy that lurks about, hiding in the shadows. Sin or transgression. The danger of sin is hidden from our sight because we've bought into the lie that it's no longer a threat to us if we've given our lives to Jesus. But that's simply not the case. The Scriptures implore us repeatedly to remain faithful to Jesus. Not simply to rest on the laurels of our faith in the past, They demand that we not indulge the flesh. They insist that we not continue in sin, but quickly repent. Quickly repent of it if we fall into it and even do away with any temptation we cannot bear. You remember the Apostle Paul saying, put to death in your members all these things. And he lists things that we might think aren't So bad. Anger and malice. In fact, the Hebrews writer here exhorts us, do not sin willingly. Those who do so are assured of judgment. To continue in sin, assuming that it's fine, that we just can't help but commit it, is to trample the Son of God underfoot. Counting the blood of Jesus as a common thing and insulting the spirit of grace. The Hebrews writer says, you must not sin, you dare not sin. And so what is sin? Rightly so called, John Wesley asked. He said it is a willful transgression of a known law of God. We're not talking about accidents here or mistakes We're talking about choosing to do what we want to do, though we know that God has said no. We're talking about not doing or refusing to do or neglecting to do what God has explicitly told us we are indeed to do, no matter the excuse.
scriptures tell us that Satan lurks about prowling around so that he might devour us. Yahweh told Cain in the book of Genesis, sin is crouching at your door. You had better watch yourself. And so what are we to do to protect ourselves? To agree with the fact that there are dangers in this life does not mean we don't do anything to protect ourselves from them. To agree with the fact that the Scriptures are very clear that there are dangers in the journey of faith. That as we walk through this world as pilgrims in search of the homeland... And we know that there are dangers hiding in the shadows. We're still called to watch watch ourselves and to protect ourselves from them. And so how do we protect ourselves? First, be aware. That's part of what this sermon is about. The Christian life is dangerous. You don't hear that that often. We're told that the Christian life is good and blessed and happy and joyful and peaceful. And yes, it does hold out the promise of all those things, but it also holds out the promise that no matter how good things might be, there are always dangers. There are always possibilities. And so be aware Don't be ignorant of the fact that there are dangers out there. I remember Dr. Smith, president of our seminary, um, saying, I'm not preaching, I'm being honest. Be aware, there are dangers. Persecution does most likely lie in our futures. Sin is always seeking to consume us. Be aware of it. Be aware of it and be vigilant. Don't drop your guard. I'm not saying to live without any peace. I'm saying always, even in the midst of peace, be aware that peace is not the norm. Trouble is the norm. The Apostle Paul told his readers to walk circumspectly, which means if you think back to your math classes, circumference is the distance around an object or a circle. So around. Spectacles. If you think back to biology or whatever that would be, medicine or something, or glasses. So walk in a way that you are seeing around yourself. You know, mom always has eyes even in the back of her head. In our lives, walk in a way that you are surrounded by eyes. 
Be vigilant. Don't drop your guard. Be aware. Be vigilant. And be strong. We are strengthened through prayer, through Scripture, and through worship. We must be strong if we are to fight the enemy. We must be strong if we are to fight the enemies of sin and the enemies of persecution. We must be strong if we are to endure persecution. Notice the Hebrew writer's encouragement to his audience. You were strong, but you need to continue to be strong. You need endurance. I love how positively he ends this passage. He says, we are not of those who draw back to perdition, but are of those who believe to the saving of the soul. Almost like a coach, he's telling us, we're not going to quit. We're not going to give up. We're not going to relent. We are going to be strong and therefore be faithful. And you can't be strong and be faithful without going to God and seeking Him in prayer, without hearing from Him through His Word, the Scriptures, and without worshiping Him with His people. It's impossible to be strong without it. And lastly, be together. Be together for the sake of fellowship and be together for the sake of accountability. We are in need of strength. And strength, even the book of Ecclesiastes, a very pessimistic book in the Old Testament, tells us that there are indeed strength in numbers. Woe is the man who is attacked and has no one to defend him. Woe is the man who falls down and has no one to help him up. We need each other. We need to be together. For the sake of fellowship, for the sake of accountability, we all need someone to have our backs and to watch our flanks. We can't see all of the dangers lurking around us. We can't see all that hides off in the shadows. But together, we can better fight them. Together, we can better endure persecution. And so, the writer tells us to draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. And he tells us to hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering because God is promised. He is faithful. Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Not forsaking one another. Not forsaking the gathering together, the assembling of ourselves as some do but exhorting one another, challenging one another, strengthening one another. And even so much the more as you see the day approaching. You know, it's interesting. I get... Um, I get asked an awful lot what I think about the, the times in which we're living. And this, is, this has been the case since I was fresh out of Bible college. Um teaching uh, middle and high school 
language arts. I don't know how a language arts teacher gets asked ask eschatological questions, but I did. They knew I was a youth pastor. They knew I'd been to Bible college. They knew I knew a considerable amount of theology and scripture. And so I would always get asked, well, well you know, Mr. Godbold is what they called me back in the day. Now, teaching college, I get to demand Professor Godbold. But back then, it was just Mr. Godbold. And uh, Mr. Godbold, what do you think about what's happening? Is Jesus about to come back? And I, I would always say, well, number one, Jesus said he didn't know, only the Father knew, so I'm not going to presume to pretend that I know. And number two, I do know this one thing, that his return is closer now than it ever has been. That's a cop-out, I know, but it's true. It's axiomatic. It's obvious. But it's funny that some of those students that were in a private Christian school taking Bible classes and whatnot were so concerned about the return of Jesus, and I, I can't tell you the number of them who have fallen away from the church. But the Hebrews writer says the exact opposite ought to happen. The more convinced we are that the return of Jesus is imminent, the more we see the day approaching, the more we ought to be together. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves but encouraging one another and strengthening one another and watching one another's back, being together all the more as the day of His return draws near. Often, the most dangerous place to be is wherever we are alone. With no one else watching out for us, with no one else strengthening us. There's no such thing as a secret Christian. There's no such thing as an individual walk with God. I know that might be the antithesis of what we hear all the time, but there's no such thing according to Scripture's. We either walk together or we simply don't make the journey. Beware. There are things hiding in the shadows, there are dangers out there. Be aware of it. Be vigilant of it. Be strong in the face of it. And be together to make it. Let's pray.